This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Throughout the week, we'll all be talking about our our various uh, mission fields. And uh, where we are right now in the city of Colonia, Uruguay, Uruguay is a small uh, country, about three and a half million people down towards the, the south of South America. And uh, they're talking about building a new smart city right within our small historic city of Colonia. Right now we have about 30,000 people. And uh, some of you maybe have heard of smart cities. It's basically everything's controlled, uh, you could say on the web or through blockchain technology. You can control your house and your car and things and it's all kind of connected to blockchain. Uh, They're going to have the fastest Wi-Fi in the world. And they talk about having self-driving cars there, drone delivery service. This is one-of-a-kind type of city that they're planning on building uh, starting this year. It's a, the first phase is a three and a half, two and a half or three year pro- uh, project, but it's the whole project is going to be about 25 years. And uh, as we're planning for this, the real potential of this smart city, of course, planning is one thing, actually executing that plan is another. Uh, but they are planning on building this city. We've noticed that our city is laying lots of new roads right now. Uh, updating the city to prepare for all the people that will probably be coming. We have 30,000 with the smart city. They say it could potentially double the size of our city. We could have about 60,000 uh, as they as they work to finish this this project. Well, uh, if you ever notice, I don't know how the roads are here in Virginia, at least coming from uh, Watertown, Wisconsin. That's where we were last. The uh, roads were pretty smooth along the way, but of course we were on the highways most of the way. Uh, in Uruguay, roads can be a bit rough, uh, but they're at least in our city starting to update those roads. When they do update those roads, that's a, a sign of responsible government, and good roads are a key to development and prosperity. If you don't have good roads, there's not going to be a lot of people who are going to want to visit your city. Well, we as Christians are part of the celestial city, and our work in making disciples is similar to the work of those who are laying roads. When our work is done well, those who are going with us to that city will be more happy and prosperous. And those who are not yet going with us to that city, they'll, it's more likely they'll be able to discern the right path, how to get there. Uh, and the reason I'm talking about laying roads is because there's an interesting verb uh, at, towards the end of 2 Timothy 2.15 uh, that's translated rightly dividing the word of truth. It has to do with a proper handling of something. What's interesting about that word is it was used in the first century to describe cutting a path or laying a road, something that the Romans might do if they wanted people to be able to go from one place to their destination more quickly, more securely. They would cut a path. They would lay a road, similar to what they're doing in in Colonia right now as they prepare for this new city. And so let's read uh, two verses here, verses 14 and 15. And then we're going to take a look at the broader context because verse 14 starts by saying, remind them of these things. And there's, there will be some things in the context here that we will want to remind ourselves of this morning. Uh, and then we'll, towards the end of verse 15, we'll see that, that, that verb that's translated here, rightly dividing, a word that originally had to do with cutting a straight path. Uh, so verse, verse 14, 2 Timothy 2 verse 14 says, <clears throat> Of these things... Put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study. That word study there means make every effort. Do everything within your power. Study 
to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, we might say cutting a straight path with, the word of truth. And so in verse 14 he says, of these things put them in remembrance. Uh, Of course the Apostle Paul was the main discipler that Timothy had. And Timothy was there uh, in Ephesus seeking to make disciples. Uh, And he's going to say in this passage, uh, remind them of these things, which means these things I just talked about, Timothy, specifically that we have to approach life and ministry like a soldier, like an athlete, and also like an expectant farmer. After he's put in the work, he knows that there will be a harvest that he can participate in. And he rightly participates in the first fruits. He should be the first one to enjoy the fruits of his hard work. Uh, And so Paul is going to be telling his his disciple Timothy, remind yourself of these things throughout this epistle and remind your hearers of these things. And the first thing he mentions here in the the context is that we have to approach life and ministry like a soldier. Uh, And the reason is, is because all of us, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we've received forgiveness of our sins, then uh, we have a role to play if the Lord still hasn't come back, here we are about 2,000 years later. He hasn't come back yet, which means there's still people he wants to save. Uh, so we have a role in his plan, and we have a role in discipling. In order to, to, to effectively make disciples, we have to think like a soldier. That's the point in verses uh, 2 through 4. So let's read those verses. He says, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also? We recognize that we share the gospel with, with anybody, with the poor, with the rich, with the smart, with the not so smart. Anybody that we come into contact with, those are people that we need to share the gospel with. And uh, God determines the results. Uh, they, they decide how they want to respond to that. But we leave the results with God, but we can scatter that seed because God still is going to be working in people. Uh, he says here, commit thou to faithful men. Uh, one of our objectives in Colonia, and I'm sure it's an objective here, is to, to seek faithful men who can teach other faithful men. That's one of the primary objectives of, of disciple making. That's something we do in Uruguay. We focus on an institute and a seminary. Uh, we invite everybody to come to the institute, but young men who really show a lot of uh, determination uh, and, and focus, we invite them into the seminary and we invest a lot in them to prepare the next generation of, of leaders for the local church there in Uruguay. Uh, It's our responsibility to transfer our faith from one generation to the next. But we all know that's not an easy process. Uh, We have our good days, we have our bad days, and that's why we need to approach life and ministry like a soldier. That's what he says in verse 3. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In another place in this letter, he says, Timothy, be instant in season and out of season which means there are times when it seems like everything is just um, going with us. There's a lot of momentum for ministry and for discipleship, for disciple making. And there's times when we face discouragement. There's times when we're, we're, we're feeling tempted uh, and we have a lot to overcome sometimes. But if we will approach life and ministry like a soldier, then we will be able to affect the, the, trans, the, the transfer of our faith from one generation to the next. We have to think like a soldier. And he says in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. We can probably all think of examples of soldiers that have carried out their mission effectively with a lot of honor. And there's sometimes, too, uh, where soldiers might uh, go across seas 
and they get too used to their power and their rank, and there's a lot of uh, fear and respect for, let's say, the American military across seas. Not always, but a lot of times there is. And sometimes an unfaithful soldier will use that to his selfish advantage, and he'll get carried away going to bars and get carried away with women, get carried away with alcohol. Uh, that can happen. But there's also plenty of examples of really faithful soldiers. Uh, a few months ago, I was uh, watching the uh, ceremony, the Medal of Honor ceremony that took place in 2020. At the time, it was uh, President Trump, and he gave the Medal of Honor to a man named Thomas Paine. He was a sergeant major for the Army Rangers. And the reason he was given a Medal of Honor is because he was called, along with his team, to fly in by helicopter to an ISIS terrorist compound uh, and land outside of the wall, and there were two buildings inside of the wall. And the reason they had to fly in immediately was because they, had, they knew through special intelligence that there were 70, about 70 hostages in this compound. And then they realized that they, these terrorists had dug uh, 70 graves, which meant they were getting ready to kill these hostages. And so they called Thomas Paine up along with his team. They flew in by helicopter outside the wall. They rushed out of the helicopter as soon as it landed. They threw the ladder up against the wall and they charged over the wall. The ISIS terrorists realized what was happening so they started shooting. And they hit one, one of the uh, rangers. They hit Josh Wheeler and he fell down dead. But the rest of them kept charging. They were outfitted with night vision goggles, excellent training. And they divided up into two teams. One went to one building, another team went to another building. And in the first building, they were fighting through the terrace and they got inside to a room, that, uh, to a place that had a huge metal door with a thick padlock. And one of their Iraqi helpers had some, some bolt cutters. And so Thomas said, give me the bolt cutters. Well, actually, the Iraqi uh, helper, he had tried to cut it. He couldn't get it. So Thomas said, give me the bolt cutters. And he went and he was working at it. He finally got it open. And they pushed the, the big metal door open. There was about 30, 35 hostages in there. They rushed them out towards the wall to safety. And as they were coming out, they got a call that the second group in the second building was having problems. And so Thomas said to one of his fellow soldiers, he said, let's get in the fight. And so they ran over to the building. And the whole time there was enemy fire. By the end of the night, there would be one fallen army ranger. There would be 20 fallen ISIS terrorists, which gives you an idea of the superior training. They didn't have home court advantage, yet they fought through uh, this, basically this hornet's nest of, of terrorists. And they were going through to the second building and uh, the building was on fire. Some of these terrorists were blowing themselves up. They were shooting back and they got to a, another big metal door with two padlocks and they still had the bolt cutters, so they went in and they started cutting. And Thomas, he couldn't get that first one. He was suffocating because of all the smoke, so he ran outside of the building. He caught his breath. He ran back in, and he started cutting. And then he got the first one. He started cutting the second one. He got the second one. They pushed that door open uh, to the stunned amazement of these 30, 35 hostages, and they started ushering these hostages out. Uh, well, they realized that as the ISIS terrorists were shooting and the rangers were shooting back, the, the hostages froze in their tracks. They, they were confused and they were afraid. So they said, guys, let's stop firing. And they created a wall with their bodies to help the hostages find their way out towards the wall to the ladder to get over to the helicopter. Cease fire for the sake of those that they were trying to save. They put their bodies on the line. 
and they were able to get all those hostages out. They crossed the wall, they got in the helicopter, the helicopter took off, they got these hostages to safety and these rangers were in the helicopter thinking, guys, what did we just do? We did the impossible, we saved the hostages. They were living and they were willing to die by their creed. And the army ranger creed says that we will give up under no circumstances, under no circumstances will we leave someone behind, under no circumstances will we dishonor our country. They lived and they died by the creed to the point where they were willing to put their lives on the line for those they wanted to save. Well, we as believers, as we are seeking to faithfully transmit our faith from one generation to the next, we have a creed. And that creed, the soldier's creed, we might say, is found in verses 11 through 13 of 2 Timothy 2. In verse 11, we read, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Christ, with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. This is a creed for Christian living. It corresponds to what he says about living and serving like a soldier. And this was a big deal in the first century. This was something that the early Christians realized that if they were going to be taken before uh, the emperor in, at the cost of their own life, uh, confessing Christ, they were willing to live and die by this creed. Uh, so what are some of the aspects of this creed? Uh, when we read in verse 14, he says, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. What, what is this words to no profit, this quarreling, this babble that he talks about in verse 16? Uh, what, what, what is he talking about here? Well, in verse 18, he says there were two guys named Hymenaeus and Philetus who said that the resurrection had already passed. And through this false teaching, they were overthrowing the faith of some. Well, the creed talks about the future reality as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be future reward. We have to believe that if we're going to be faithful. Uh, but Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching something completely different. So what, what are some of the aspects of the creed? Because there are ideas, there are doctrines out there that are always seeking to undermine our Christian creed. He says in verse 11 again, he says, It's a faithful saying. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. He's talking about how we are, we are dead with Christ to sin because of our firm hope in the resurrection. There is a very tight connection between our faith and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith that he will reward our faithfulness to him at some point. There's rewards in this life, by the way, for serving Christ. But there's rewards to come when we see Christ face to face as well. There's a tight connection between believing that and living a holy life like a soldier right now. That's the point of Titus chapter 2, uh, verse 11, where he says, The grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that by denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then he says, how do we do that? How can we live godly and sober and righteous when we're surrounded by a world? And even the world so easily enters into our own homes through TV and the internet and ungodly influences. How can, how can it be that there will be people through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who live soberly, righteously, and godly in spite of everything that's against us? And he says there in the next verse, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's a tight connection between knowing there is future reward and I will see the Lord and I do not want to stand before him ashamed and the power to live now soberly, 
righteously and godly like a Christian soldier who keeps this creed. And then he says in verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Authority in the coming kingdom is based on our faithfulness in present enemy territory. We are serving the Lord Jesus Christ to whom all power and authority has been given, but we are also in a sense in enemy territory because there's verses that say that the devil, he is the prince and the power of the air. He's the God of this world. He's powerful. He's influential. We all feel the temptation and sometimes the, the oppression or the attacks. And so in a sense, we're in enemy territory. But if we serve the Lord Jesus now, when it's easy to quit, and when it's easy to give up, when it's easy to give in to sin, if we are faithful now, which often does entail a level of suffering. We don't look to suffer, but as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes suffering is entailed in that. It says here that, that we will reign with him. There's plenty of places in the Bible where Jesus talks about rank and authority in the coming kingdom. Uh, we are all equal in Christ, we understand that. But when Jesus comes to reign, he told his 12, he told the apostles that you guys will sit with me on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He wasn't talking metaphorically there. He was saying, you guys will reign with me with a power and influence in the coming age of righteousness and peace. When the Lord Jesus is here, uh, they would have rank and authority, a spiritual kind of rank and authority based on their service and their sufferings with Christ. The same is true for us. So what, it's not wrong to want authority. It's not wrong to want to be great in the kingdom. But, but what does it look like to be great? We know what Jesus taught. If you want to be great, what did he say? You need to serve. Let him who wants to be the greatest, let him become the least and let him be the servant to all. There is a legitimate grasping for authority. Uh, in Luke 17, when the disciples were feeling overwhelmed by Jesus' standards for forgiveness, uh, they said, Lord, please increase our faith. I don't know if you've been there. I've been there many times. Lord, strengthen me. I'm weak. I need help. Strengthen my faith. That's where the disciples were. And Jesus said, listen, guys, if you want to serve with distinction and you want to have, you want to have power in faith, he said, let me tell you a little story. And he said, if any of you have a servant, we don't really have servants necessarily today, but back then it was more common. He said, if any of you have a servant and he's working out in the field and the servant comes in from a hard day work, will he say, oh, now that you're in, sit down and I'm going to serve you at table. No, he's a servant. And so the uh, the master will say, go get cleaned up, get washed up, make sure the food is ready. I'm going to come and eat and serve me. And then after that, you can have your food. He said, guys, if you want faith and power, then you need to see yourselves as servants. And after you've done everything that is your duty, say, we are unprofitable servants. We've only done what is our duty to do. Uh, that is sometimes our problem when after we serve the Lord in our weakness and if he uses us and we have the mindset of a soldier, we're not great. The Lord Jesus Christ is great who uses us. And after we've done everything that we can possibly do, he is glorified when we say, Lord, I'm just a servant. I've just done what is my duty to do. And I still feel unprofitable. The Lord is glorified in that. And that, that is a legitimate grasping for authority. Well, then he says as part of this creed, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. This, this, this line doesn't need a lot of elaboration. If we deny the Lord Jesus Christ with our words or with our works, 
If we have a consistent life, it's patterned after sin rather than a humble dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ to say no to sin, yes to the Savior, a life characterized by righteousness. Yes, we all have ups and downs. But a life characterized by righteousness rather than a life characterized by sin. If we deny the Lord with our works, if we deny him with our words, the Lord is just and holy. He also will deny us. This is part of the creed. The last part says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And so God will be faithful to his own character by rewarding obedience and punishing disobedience. I've worked through this last line. I've heard different interpretations of it. Uh, Some some have said, well, uh, if we're unfaithful, he'll be faithful to us yet because he can't deny his his own self and having accepted us as part of his children, perhaps. Uh, Well, the word used there isn't just someone who has little faith. Jesus sometimes told his disciples, oh, ye of little faith. Uh, Peter often had stuck his foot in his mouth because of foolishness and little faith. He started to sink in the water. He called out to Christ, little faith, but the Lord still delivered him. Sometimes we're of little faith. As we cry out to the Lord, he's able to pull us up and strengthen us in those moments when we're weak. As long as we look to him for it. It's his strength and not our own. But this word is strong here. If we're faithless, if we are without faith, that means we do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very strong term, which my best estimation, if you look at commentaries, you might find a few different things. My best estimation of this is simply means if we do not believe, well, he will be faithful to his own righteous character and he cannot reward unbelief and disobedience. He cannot deny himself. He's holy. And this is our Christian creed. To live by this and to die by this, we have to approach our lives in ministry like a soldier. God's grace woos us to obey and serve Christ as we see the way Jesus dealt with Peter. Uh, He said to Peter, after Peter had denied him, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Leave these nets behind and come follow me and feed my sheep. And he said it three times. He wooed Peter back. That's the way Jesus is with his own. But those who will not believe, God is righteous and he will not deny his own righteous character. He will judge disobedience and unfaithfulness. And so we have to remind ourselves that we're like a soldier. Uh, But he says here too, in verse five, he talks about an athlete. In verse five he says, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Basically, if an athlete wants to be rewarded, he's got to keep the rules. In Uruguay, we love soccer. And uh, we have had some amazing world-class players come out of Uruguay. One of them was Luis Suarez. He got the golden boot, I want to say, back in 2011. We've had a number of others. Uh, One thing, though, that Luis Suarez has had a problem with is when he gets real excited, he bites the uh, opposing player. And he has done that three times. It's sometimes in very important games, and he has, he, they threw him out. Uh, he's an example of a guy, he's incredibly skilled, but he cannot control himself. He has learned the last few years to control himself. Uh, but there have been times when he has not been able to. And if you watch these guys play soccer, not only are they really skilled with their defense and their offense, when it comes time to avoid a foul, they can contort their bodies to avoid getting a, a yellow card or a red card. That also is an incredible skill, but they realize that you cannot go far unless you are willing to keep the rules. Uh, being from Rockford, Illinois, I, uh, I wasn't quite a big fan of the Chicago Cubs. I liked more the, the Chicago White Sox, but a lot of friends and family, they love the Chicago Cubs. And back in 1998, we had a huge year with a star player named Sammy Sosa. 
Some of you might remember that back in 1998. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were breaking records. Or so we thought, right? Because they were slamming it out of the park. Uh, they were chasing Roger Maris's home run record of 61. 61 home runs in 1961. And uh, sure enough, Sammy Sosa, he passed 61. He got all the way up to 66. Mark McGuire got up to 70. It was a glorious year for baseball. Or so we thought. Because a few years later, they realized that both of these guys were taking performance-enhancing drugs. And so when I researched to see which one of them, if either, uh, had been inducted into the Hall of Fame, I found that neither one is. Because each time their names come up, the panel of the Hall of Fame says, yeah, but these guys were incredible players in their own right. But we don't want to set a precedent because they didn't keep the rules. Neither one is in the Hall of Fame now. And the Apostle Paul is reminding us that Unless we approach our life in ministry like an athlete who understands how to win and he's got to keep the rules, we too can be disqualified. And even though it may not be fair, unless we have the determination by the grace of God to finish our course with joy and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, well, it, it could end in shame. And it might even be that we're remember, remembered more for our, the shameful acts we committed rather than all the time that we were serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be disqualified and there are decisions we can make that will end in shame. And so we approach life in ministry like an athlete. And then he says in verse uh, six, he talks about a farmer. He says in verse six, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. That means that after uh, we have we have served the Lord Jesus Christ with the mentality of a soldier, with the dedication of a committed athlete who understands the importance of keeping the rules. That is investment. That is rigor. That, that involves discipline. But as we're working and serving that way, there will be a harvest. We don't know if the harvest will come immediately. A lot of times it doesn't spiritually. We, we live and we love and we serve and we disciple, and it might take a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. How many missionary stories have we heard of uh, pioneer missionaries who will go out and they will disciple and they'll serve and they'll witness and they don't see their first convert for many years? We don't always know how long it might take for the harvest, but there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. Nothing we do in the name of the Lord will, will yield no results. There will always be results. But we have to let the Lord be the Lord of the harvest as we serve him. Uh, I think of when uh, I married my wife, who's from the farm, uh, from a farm in Wisconsin, I should say. I'm from Rockford, Illinois. It's a big city in Illinois. Uh, when we drove to her farm, it was six blocks just to get to the farm through the driveway. Uh, so we were driving through all these Wisconsin bluffs. It felt like a national park. I was mesmerized by the Kibler farm. And uh, when we got married, her parents and grandparents gave us a year's worth of beef. I was a poor seminary student. I, I could not buy a lot of beef. I was way too thin, thinner than I am now, I think. Uh, but they gave us, I want to say 100 pounds, I don't know, 150 pounds of beef, steak and brats and hamburger and uh, everything you can imagine. Uh, Grass-fed beef, maybe it was corn-fed beef, but it was beef that was raised on the farm and it was so good. How could they do that? They did that for all of their family that, that were getting married. Mickey has five brothers and sisters. They could do that because they were the ones who invest, invested all those years in the farm. They were the ones who had been raising the cows and they had an abundance to share with other people. Well, 
when we make sacrifices for the gospel and follow the rules, we will partake in the first fruits. We will. We may let the sacrifice and rigor of our faith overshadow the richness and the blessing inherent in it. But we shouldn't focus on the prohibitions. We should focus on the purpose. Uh, there's a verse um, in, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthians and he said, Corinthians, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and in him are amen. That means that anything you could possibly hope to get out of life, all of the, the, the greatest promises of God in Jesus Christ, they receive their yes and their amen. Sometimes when we get sidetracked, we start thinking about all the things we can't do, all the prohibitions, uh, the rigor of our faith. And, but in Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are one big resounding yes and amen. The Bible warns us there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If we have found the path of Christ, if we are cutting that path based on these principles, we've found the right path. And that is a path that makes those around us more happy and prosperous and joyous as they join us. And those who don't know the path yet, they will know this is the path because we are cutting the path with our profession and also with our life. And the two have to go together. Some of the first fruits, if we look at the, the, the pastoral epistles, we see that, man, when you serve this way, you get a good conscience. That's something the world cannot give, a good conscience. You get a, a testimony that demands the respect of others. Uh, we see that in uh, Titus 2.8. There might be some people who don't like you, but if you cut the path this way, your life will demand the respect of others. Uh, there will be spiritual authority. There will be salvation from foolish and hurtful lust, 1 Timothy 6.9. And there even, rightfully so, we struggle with this on the mission field and we're working hard at it. A salary for those who are leading in this effort, the, the pastors of the church and the leaders of the church, a salary. The Apostle Paul talks about that in the, the pastoral epistles, that there should be uh, an expectation of some of the fruit. If someone's laboring in the spiritual things, they should also be able to re reap in the material things. And so we have to remind ourselves of these things. And then we read verse 15. We'll finish up now as we, as we take a quick look at verse 15. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Remember that word study means make every effort, do everything within your power to Show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This worker described in verse 15 learns from successful soldiers, athletes, and farmers. Making every effort to rightly divide, or we might say cut a straight path with, the word of truth. It's the word of God that promotes the development and the success of every believer. And it's the word of God that guides the sinner to forgiveness and restoration. I want to close with this analogy. Uh, Russia has been in the news. Ukraine has been in the news. And back in 1970, Ukraine was in the news for another reason. They were building a lot of nuclear power plants in their, uh, their country. And it wasn't to uh, harness uh, the power for a bomb. It was to harness the positive benefits of nuclear energy. That, that was the theme. They called it the age of the peaceful atom in their own language. And in 1979, they built a nuclear power plant in a city called Chernobyl. Uh, well, very soon there were a lot of people working there and they built a neighboring city, basically a, a, a commute city, in the city of Pripyat. And so by 1986, there were 50,000 people living in this brand new city of Pripyat. And they had 
cut a lot of new paths to create this city, laid a lot of new roads. They led to a central plaza, a beautiful central plaza, complete with Ferris wheel. And it was a beautiful place. Uh, well, maybe you've seen Chernobyl in some documentary. Uh, it was a huge nuclear power plant that exploded in 1986. And the nuclear leakage was a disaster. It was the second worst nuclear accident in the history of nuclear. And so they evacuated all the people of Chernobyl and Pripyat immediately. And to this day, the radioactivity is so strong, you can go in for a little while, but you need to get out of there uh, because it, it will kill you. They say for thousands of years, people will not be able to live in this region because of the high radioactivity. Well, today, those roads that once were freshly cut and people were enjoying their productive lifestyle there, uh, the roads now are mangled by untamed nature. What happened in Pripyat, in Chernobyl, unless we give due diligence and we remind ourselves of these things, these things can happen spiritually in a church. What once had a reputation for holiness and wisdom and moral courage and a sense of destination, if we are not zealous, it could all end in shame. So what can we do? 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, cutting a straight path with the word of truth. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.